we're still going to get into the Word. So by now, I hope you're in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to continue in that series. Uh, we've been walking through the book of Ephesians, and it has been good. Uh, and God's been saying some challenging things to us. If you're just jumping in with us, if, if, you're, if you're just a visitor with us, or you're just uh, new here today, uh, and you haven't been a part of this series, Ephesians is written by the Apostle Paul. And it was written as a letter to the people in a city called Ephesus. Now, as a, as a reminder what Ephesus is like, it was a port city, meaning it was on the water, kind of like L.A. And uh, it, was, it was very influential around the known world at the time. It was also wildly influenced by the world at the time. Uh, there were all kinds of different religions there. Uh, there, were, there were all kinds of gods that were like pl a plurality of gods and all kinds of ways that people would worship. And, and what we would call uh, pagan practices were very popular in Ephesus. So Paul is writing a letter to the people who call themselves Christians, the followers of the way of Jesus in the city of Ephesus, right? Uh, despite all of the distractions that are pulling at their attention, all of the different religions and beliefs that are pulling on their faith, Paul is, is expertly reminding the people who are Christians in Ephesus about the work of Jesus to save them. Hey, remember the gospel? And at one point he says, if you even remember the gospel, it's a great way that Paul kind of writes. He goes, remember the way that Jesus saved you and remember your identity as children of God. He then begins in the second half of the book to talk about what the community of faith should look like. And that's what we've been studying this year as we go through the book of Ephesians. We're now in the last chapter of Ephesians and Paul is an expert at building a case and crafting themes and, and, and kind of tying a thread through what seems like run-on sentences and ideas that kind of branch all over the place and then ties it all together. And so we begin to see how he lands the plane of this letter, uh, which is not a metaphor that he would have used back in the day because he didn't have planes, but go with me. Um, in Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10, Paul begins this section of uh, the, the conclusion of his letter with the word finally. Now, just for context, when he says finally, he's doing two things here. He's saying, I'm beginning to close, which if you've ever listened to a sermon means almost nothing. Um, but what he's really actually doing is saying, after I've said all of these things, which we'll talk about in a minute, now this is, this is what I want you to catch. All right, so I've built this big case. Now I want you to hear this. So he says, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. God, as we dig into this passage today, help us to learn what you would want us to learn. Help us to hear by your Holy Spirit what you would say to our church. In Jesus' name, amen. Did you know that it's almost football season? American football. Uh, Real football is, the Women's World Cup is happening. Um, that's, that's happening. American football is about to begin. Um, and, and imagine with me for a moment that during one of these practices in the buildup to the football season, that the coach of your favorite American football team gathers all the, the guys in the locker room 
first game today. First game of the season. All right, fellas? Take your helmet off. Take your pads off. Put your jersey back on. That looks good on you. Uh, cleats, you don't need those. Sandals will be fine. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out on that field, and we're going to play this game. But as we're playing it, I just want you to just get in this headspace. The other team, not even there. They don't exist. They're not real. Uh, just, you know, if you get hit, yell at the people in the stands. Blame it on them. And we're just going to go through the whole game. And uh, this is our strategy today. We're just we're going to play the football game as if the other team is not real. And you're not going to need pads. Don't get a helmet. Take shoes off. If you want to let the dogs breathe and just go barefoot on the grass, that probably feels nice on your toes. Um, so just, you know, dress however you want. In fact, yeah, that's cool. You know, so if you want to you know, throw your PJs back on, totally fine. doesn't matter. Uh, just go out and have fun. Just enjoy the day. Right? You're out on the grass. Blue sky outside. There's all these people watching. Uh, if you get hit, though, yell at them. It's probably their fault. That sounds ridiculous, right? How's, how's that team going to do? In, in, they're probably not going to the Super Bowl. Right? Probably not going to the Super Bowl. This is a little bit of what Paul is talking about. Let's, let's up the ante, though, a little bit. Because Paul's not actually just talking about sports. He's talking about something a little bit more serious. In fact, imagine with me instead that a World War II general sends these orders to his soldiers on the front lines. Put down your guns and armor. On the other side of this field is a very good coffee shop. Your mission today is to just have a nice day. Soldiers, I want you to ignore the people being dramatic and falling down, saying they've been shot. Some people will just over-Nazi-eyes anything. There's no enemy out there, just tasty lattes. So get out of your bunkers and bring me back a scone. What's going to happen to this battalion of soldiers? They're going to get slaughtered, absolutely decimated. Now we're beginning to understand what Paul is talking about. In Ephesians chapter 6, the invitation of Paul as he says, finally, after everything I've said, I want to put this in the context that I want you to capture. We're not talking about just Sunday church attendance, whether you made it in the rain or not. We're, we're not talking about who your favorite football team is and whether or not they put on their helmet before the game. We're not even talking about earthly warfare and whether or not the soldiers pick up their guns, we're talking about spiritual warfare. Paul wants us to understand that we are living in a world at war. And the problem is that so many of us live as if the enemy we're facing is not actually there. And so many of us live as if we think the enemy that we're facing is there, but I don't need any weapons or protection to deal with it. This is a lot of the ways we do Christianity in the West, right? If I can just get to church a couple times a month, I mean, I'm a super Christian. I got to church in the rain. It was 120 degrees a little while ago. I still went to church. Thank God the AC was working. Like, and I'm not saying this is you. I'm saying this is a prevailing mentality of faith in the West. 
is that we sort of just say it's about the comfort level and it's about the engagement in church services and, and we limit our Christianity to let me get in the locker room, hear a pep talk, and then go out and pretend like there isn't actually an opposing force out there in the world. And then we go, why didn't my team make it to the Super Bowl? Why has my spirituality been decimated? And Paul is inviting us to a greater understanding. Does it begin to make sense? So Paul, Paul's making a, a wildly important point here. We are living in a world at war, in the middle of a massive, generational, spiritual war. And most of us, unfortunately, are either too distracted and numbed by the things of the world to see our enemy, or otherwise we do feel the pain of our warfare, but we turn our counterattack on each other instead of aiming it at our actual enemy. Like the football coach who says, if you get tackled by the enemy, I want you to pretend that isn't there. Yell at the fans in the stands. That's just as insane as if I get hurt and I turn my anger towards Espy. It's just as illogical in the context of my spiritual warfare. Now, we might get into, I don't know how much time we'll spend on this in, in a second, but, but we do have to realize maybe Espy was partnering with my enemy to do something mean to me, and Espy and I can have words about that. But Paul is inviting us to have a deeper vision that even if Espy was wrong and doing something aggressive against me and trying to destroy my life, at the end of the day, my real enemy is not the person being used against me, but the person eternally pitted against me, the devil himself. Right? Espy, I forgive you. <laughs> okay, so, so we understand that, that Paul is actually making a perfect point here, a very important, vital point to our spirituality. But I would argue that he's actually making a, a well-placed point as well. See, Paul's not just randomly deciding, oh, yeah, there's this one more thing I wanted to talk about at the end of this letter. I can't believe I almost forgot this. Spiritual warfare. He's not just like throwing it in like an afterthought. He's actually been building up to this point. In fact, can, indulge me in a brief survey of the second half of the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bible, you can scroll through your Bible or turn the pages through your Bible. I'll just begin just highlighting themes that we've talked about as we've studied through beginning at chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians. Paul has challenged us to live worthy of the call of God using the gifts that are given to us, right? Those five-fold ministry gifts, the, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher gifts to do the work of ministry and then grow, in the grow up in our own faith but also grow the unity of the church. Paul says, don't fall for lies but grow up and become more and more like Christ. He tells us to throw off our old way of living. Don't live like unbelievers. Speak the truth in love. Don't sin when you get angry. Don't use language that slanders or brings other people down. Moving into chapter 5, he tells us, walk in love. Avoid sexual immorality, impurity, and greed. He says, don't be deceived by the empty arguments that you hear. And remember, no matter what happens, you used to be darkness, but because of the work of Jesus, you are now children of light. Are you beginning to see, like, these things are building 
a, an argument here. He goes on. He says, don't practice shameful, dark ways of living, but stay spiritually awake. I, I love this. He actually says uh, in in verse 14 of chapter 5, get up, sleeper, and rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. So stay spiritually awake and pay attention to how you live because the days are evil. He's not done. He says, uh, this was one of the ways that we said what Paul is saying, keep your head on a swivel, being aware of the world around you, and keep your heart on the table before God, being aware of the world within you. So know that there's evil around you, but there's also evil inside of you. Deal with that. Uh, he goes on to say, don't be drunk with wine, and don't do things that cause you to live recklessly. Instead, encourage one another and give thanks to God and, and take your life seriously. Submit to one another in the fear of Christ and he talks about relationships. He says, wives submit to husbands. Husbands sacrificially love your wives as Christ loves the church. And then he moves on into chapter 6. And he says, children, obey and honor your parents. Fathers, build up your children in the ways of the Lord. Slaves, obey your masters. And masters, treat your slaves with dignity, knowing that they're on the same level as you before your shared master, God who is in heaven. So Paul has been building a case this whole time. The case is this. You are not just a physical being. You are not just your body. The world that you live in is more than what you can see. Your physical relationships all point to a spiritual kingdom. And that spiritual kingdom is just as real as the physical world that we can see and touch and engage with with our physical bodies. So then after all of that, then Paul writes, finally be strengthened in the Lord by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against all the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason... Take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. So Paul urges us, put on spiritual armor. If you're going to go play football, put on the pads. If you're going to go into war, pick up the weapons of warfare. Put on your armor. Take up the sword. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. But, but the reason that this is so beautiful is when you think about what Paul has just said, he's just talked about relationships, marriage, husbands and wives, and submission and sacrifice and children and parents and submission and obedience and honor and loving your children and raising them up in the ways of God. And he talks about slaves and masters, which in our context, and we talked about that last week, if you want to know what we think about the word slaves and masters in scripture, you can listen to last week's sermon. But Paul, for our context and our lesson today in 2023, is talking about you at work and you as a boss or you as an employee and you as a person who is over or under people in authoritative hierarchy of your job. Like, how do you live like that? Honor do your job, whether your boss is looking or, or not. He's talking about all of these things, but he's saying these things are not your source and these people are not your problem. They are not your enemies. None of this is your source. None of these people are your enemy. 
Paul has gone to incredible lengths. He's written like the whole second half of this, this book, this letter to the Christians in Ephesus. He's gone to incredible lengths to point to the person who has actual authority in our lives. And his name is Jesus. So understanding that, it makes sense that he would say, and like immediately after talking about the people that we usually get mad at, our spouse or our kids or our parents or our boss or our employees, our relational context, it makes sense that he would immediately then point to our actual enemy, the devil. So Paul wants you to know about your spiritual realities. To be equipped to succeed, or as he says in chapter 5, verse 8, to live as children of light. To live the way that you are. Live according to your identity. And you don't just do that because we come to church or because we have read a book called the Bible or because we said a prayer after a person and call ourselves a Christian. We don't just do that because of a couple of decisions. We do that because we, like Paul, die daily to the things of darkness. And you don't die daily if you don't take it seriously. And you don't take it seriously unless you are aware that you live in a world at war. And I can understand what it would feel like to either just want to ignore the war because it feels distant and far away, or because it's been going on so long that it's just, that's the world we live in, and so I'm just going to shape a life that doesn't feel like warfare. But Paul says, you do not have that option. So it'd be like the, the, the people in Ukraine, just waking up tomorrow and going, just decided to, that's an important noise. Yeah. Well, it's an ironic moment, considering that I'm currently talking about not ignoring the signs of the world around you. <laughs> okay, here's what, here's what we're going to do, friends. I'm going to continue teaching this sermon. And while I'm doing it, not you, don't you, keep your eyes on me. I'm every now and then going to look over at my wife. And if she goes like this, then I'll wrap it up. Deal? Okay. <laughs> Dear Lord, give us wisdom. Actually, this feels like a serious, let's turn that into a serious moment. God, whatever that is and whatever we need to uh, do with that, give us wisdom, God. We're going to dig into your word. We're going to keep studying your word. If we need to do that in a different location or at a different time, God, just give us wisdom. We'll stay here until you tell us not to be. And in the middle of that, more importantly, way more importantly, uh, will you keep people in our community safe? We're thinking even now about people who would be affected physically by what's happening outside of this building. Keep them safe. In Jesus' name, amen. Sh should I continue? Okay, all right. Let's continue. Okay, I really only actually have two more things I wanted to say to you today. Um, but it's going to take about six hours, so just hang tight. <laughs> 
<laughs> what were we talking about? Oh, yeah. Um, I remember. I'm kidding. Uh, so we, let's get back on track. Um, say to your neighbor real quick, just so we know that we've done something. Um, say to your neighbor that something that you now must know, you have to now deal with this for the rest of your life, but, but it'll be helpful to say this out loud. Look at your neighbor and say, you live in a world at war. This is the reality. You don't have to like it. I don't like it at all, but it is the reality. And so Paul wants us to succeed in this world. And so in order to succeed in this world, he says this, you need to know your enemy. Say, know your enemy. Okay, so who's your enemy? We've already established it's not Espy. Okay, get off her back. It's not Espy. She's wonderful and kind, and you would love her if you got to know her. Uh, you're welcome, Espy. Uh, look, our enemy is not the people that we see. We talked about this last week. It doesn't actually matter how terrible your boss is. Your boss is not your actual enemy, right? Paul is not saying don't ever deal with issues that you have with people. In fact, Scripture, Paul himself is very helpful in, in telling us what we do. In Matthew, Jesus lays out in the Gospel of Matthew, you can actually see how Jesus thought through how you should handle conflict resolution. The Bible is not telling you pretend you don't ever have issues with people. But Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God himself wants you to understand, even in your strongest conflict that you have with people, don't lose sight of who your actual enemy is behind and underneath. All of this is your actual eternal enemy, the devil. And he actually, generally speaking, calls this rulers, authorities, cosmic powers of darkness, evil, spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. That heavenly realms are in the heavens is a reference to that spiritual reality and realm that is something other than your physical reality. And he goes on to talk about how there are, and in other places throughout the New Testament, we can see that there is a spiritual war going on and there are demonic forces forces that are at work against the, the work of God and against the movement and the realities of God's kingdom. And just like any physical army, this spiritual army of demonic forces has a leader. And the leader of that army of darkness and demons is our at great adversary, the devil. Now, just so that you don't think that this is like um, a, an equally matched war where God in all of his goodness and purity and righteousness and light is fighting his equal opposite of darkness, we have, to, we have to make sure that we understand this, that the devil is not the equal opposite version of God. In fact, Scripture teaches us that the devil was created by God, and when he was created by God, he was an angel. He was actually created for the purpose of leading all of the heavenly realms into the praise and worship of God himself. And all of that praise and worship of God himself that, that uh, we now call him the devil or Satan, that Lucifer was his given name, that his job was to lead the praise of God. And somewhere in doing all of that, something got twisted in his heart and he became jealous for the praise that he was meant to direct towards God and he wanted it to stay with himself. And so he got jealous and in his jealousy decided, I'm going to overthrow my creator, God, and take over heaven and become like him so that I can receive all of the worship. And God said, this cannot, this cannot happen. 
And because he is not equally strong as God, he was overthrown by God, thrown out of the heavenly realms, out of the presence of God. He rebelled against God and was cast out of God's presence. And he had, he had uh, twisted the hearts and, and the minds of a good chunk of angels, and they all went with him. Not all of them, about a third. So these are the creatures, the created beings that we now call the Satan or the devil or uh, Beelzebub, our great enemy, the great enemy ultimately of God and all of his demons. And, and, and again, just to be clear, the devil and all of his demonic forces can't even hold a candle to the power that God has. They are not his equal opposite. They are unlike him and they hate him and by relation you because you are his creation made in his image whom he loves and gave his life for. And since Satan and all of his demons have now sworn to do nothing but kill and steal and destroy, which is what Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10. This is why then Peter warns us in 1 Peter 5, be sober-minded and alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a lion, looking for anyone he can devour. So he says, resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world, that, that you're not alone in this. But he says, resist, resist the devil. What is the devil trying to do? Like a lion, devour you. And, and prowling around. By the way, prowling is this image of like sneaking. And, and it's a secretive action. The devil is subversive. And he, he, he won't necessarily come knocking on your door like an angel of light. Which is why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, Satan disguises himself uh, as a buddy. But he's not really that. He's sneaking. This is his actual reality. Whatever he looks like, he's sneaking into your life. He's trying to trick you and lie to you to get you to walk away from God, to fall into sin. And if he can't attack you outright, he'll try to trick you into a complacency or a distracted life so that you are no threat to his spiritual warfare. So Paul urges us, know your enemy. Be on guard. Be alert. Our enemy is not other people or an opposing political party or the person who offended you or your boss or your spouse or your parents. Ultimately, our enemy is the devil himself. We are urged to be alert. And Pastor Chuck Smith uh, once said in a sermon on this passage, our battle is against spirit forces. Satan may use individuals and other persons through which to attack us. He seeks to constantly get us engaged in the realm of our flesh. In other words, he wants you to react to all of the stuff and the people who are being used to attack you getting us to respond after our flesh, to rely on our flesh, because the moment he can draw us into a fleshly conflict, he knows that he has won the battle. In the flesh, I am no match whatsoever for Satan. The moment I get into the flesh, Pastor Chuck says, I have lost. So we have to know this. Our enemy is spiritual. Our enemy is the devil and all of his forces of darkness. So we have to be prepared to fight. And this is why Paul tells us, and this is the second thing that I wanted to say to you today, the second thing we need to know that Paul urges us, not just to, uh, not just to know who our enemy is, but to know the source of our strength. 
It's almost as if Paul agreed generations before with what Pastor Chuck would say later on when he wrote in Romans chapter 7, verses 18 through 19, for I know that nothing good lives in me. This is Paul, the Apostle Paul. I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. He's saying, by my own strength of will and desire, I can't just will myself into good living. I need help. Verse 19, he says, for I I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Paul says all of this to point us back to Christ as our only source of hope. Here's what Paul is saying. You can't even overcome sin by your own willpower. That's That's what Paul is saying. Understand, you have a spiritual enemy and you can't beat him on your own. Our wisdom and our strength will never be enough to keep us on the road to righteousness. Which is what Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways know or acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Who will make your path straight? God, it's not you. It's not me. I can't even do that as your pastor as much as I would like to. I would stay up all night writing the perfect sermon if I could that would make your path straight. But that, I can't do it. I'm not that good. Neither are you. No one is. We need God. So what is our job in this? To trust God. To trust that he is the source of our strength. That he will make our path straight. And this, by the way, is just about righteous living. We haven't even really talked yet about the devil and the enemy and all the ways that he's going to attack us and try to come against us. But, but just to drive the point home here, there's a story in Acts chapter 19 where there's these guys, they're in a group, uh, they refer to them as the seven sons of Sceva. If you've ever read Acts chapter 19, you're familiar with this story. Uh, the, the seven sons of Sceva, they find a person who is possessed by a demon and they remember, they've actually heard Paul, they've seen him do all kinds of incredible works. In fact, the, the works that are, I mean, God God is using Paul in such an incredible way that through Paul's ministry, God has healed people just even as Paul was walking by them and they were healed. It's wild, incredible, powerful stuff. And it wasn't Paul's power. Paul was regularly giving credit to God. This was his power. But these seven sons of Sceva, they, they saw Paul doing that, and they, they, they tried to copy his work of spiritual power in their own flesh. And Acts chapter 19 tells us, they went in and they said, in the name of Jesus that Paul talks about, get out. They said that to the guy who was demon possessed. And the demon, fully in control, possessing this person, looks at these seven sons of Sceva and says, I know Jesus. I've heard of Paul. I don't know any of you. And then he jumps on them and attacks them. And, I mean, these guys walked out. Like, this, I think, was where the the phrase tail between your legs became related. Like, I think these were the first guys. Like, they walked out so embarrassed, just absolutely decimated in in, in losing to this demon-possessed man, ultimately losing to the devil in this moment. And by the way, the lesson is not make sure you have eight guys with you. Seven isn't enough. 
Because Paul was doing this just Paul. So what's the lesson? Make sure you have God with you. And don't just go copying somebody else's methods. If you see Pastor Greg laying hands on somebody and healing them, and he says, in the name of Jesus, be healed, you don't just go, oh, I could just do that. I was, like, deeply in sin yesterday, and I'm not really sure I'm a Christian, but that looks fun. And then you just go, like, lay your hands on someone and say, in the name of Jesus, was it Jesus, Greg? You said Jesus, right? Okay, in the name of Jesus, be healed, right? Don't expect God to do anything with your life that is not committed to him for anything other than power. If all you want is God to be your, like, you know, spiritual genie, God's not interested in that. What's he interested in? Ultimately, relationship. Why does the power happen ever? To point people back to Christ. Not so that you can show off how powerful you are, because it's not your power anyway. Whose power is it? It's God's power. So we need to know that he is the source of our power. And then Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And I'm going to ask you a couple questions in just a moment. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6, Paul says, For although we live in the flesh, this is familiar language, right? We live in the flesh. We do not wage war according to the flesh. Since the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, but are powerful through God. And, and here's what he says we can do if we, if we wage a spiritual warfare knowing that God is our source and that the devil is our real enemy. Here's what it would look like. Our weapons are powerful through God for this purpose, for the, the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. And we are ready to punish any disobedience once your obedience is complete. You know what I notice isn't in this passage, that what, this is what spiritual warfare looks like? It doesn't look like, like picketing. It doesn't look like writing strongly worded letters. It doesn't look like getting into arguments and debates to prove that your theology is better than the theology of the person next to you. It's interesting that this is how Paul says we fight our spiritual battles. We demolish arguments that stand against the truth of God's word. How do you expect to do that if you don't know God's word? Paul says we call out every proud thing that claims to know a better way to heaven. How do you know how to do that unless you know that Jesus is the only way to heaven and you're convinced of that as the ultimate truth? Paul says we fight our battles when we take our own thoughts captive, not your neighbor's thoughts. Those thoughts are most likely and more than often none of your business. Take your own thoughts captive, which means we refuse to enter thoughts or ideas about life that do not agree with Scripture. And as Pentecostals, I would, I would double down on this idea by saying we don't entertain even something that claims to be a prophetic word directly from God himself if that word does not agree with Scripture. So like Paul told us, judge the prophetic word. If it doesn't line up with the word of God, then it's not a word from God, right? So take every thought captive. And then he goes on, one more thing. How do we fight our battles? We live fully obedient to Christ and root out all disobedience from our lives. In fact, Paul says, punish the disobedience, which is not, again, permission for you to punish the disobedience in others, but first to discipline our own lives by righteous living, to punish it out, right out of my own life. 
And in that punishment, it looks looking more like discipline, living a Christ-like life, or as Paul again says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8, living as children of light. And remember what Paul's ultimate challenge is. In Ephesians 6, the passage we're studying today, verses 10 and 11, be strengthened by whom? By the Lord and his, I love this disclaimer, by his vast strength. Well, not by your own effort, by God's vast strength. And, and how do we begin to do that? Put on the full armor of God. For what purpose? So you can stand. So that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Our strength comes from God. Amen? Friends, we cannot fight an enemy that we pretend is not real. And we will never win a spiritual battle if we do not pick up the strength of the God who will win the battle and pick up the weapons of his warfare. So then the next thing that Paul does is he writes a description of the armor of God. We are not going to take time to study that today. Come next Sunday. Uh, it's wildly important that you understand the implication and meaning of what each of those things look like. Uh, no, we won't give you a physical set of armor. If you, if you want to cosplay the armor of God next Sunday, you're welcome to. Um, leave your sword at home, please. Uh, we just don't trust you that much. Uh, Bring your Bible. <laughs> if you have a Captain America shield, this, is the, this next Sunday is the day to bring it to church. Okay? It is the one day of the year that it, well, yep, that makes sense. I understand why you brought that to church today. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to get into that next, next week. Um, but I, I think, I, th I think that, there's still something here that we don't just say, well, so what does that look like? It looks like putting on the armor of God. We'll talk about that next week. Okay, see ya. I think, I think there's something still here for us to respond to. Let me pose three questions for you, and then we're going we're gonna to pray. I think the questions that we need to answer today would first be this. Am I taking my spiritual battle seriously or pretending that life is only physical? I think, I think a second question is, am I directing my fight at people or at my actual enemy? If I, if I could just confess in front of my friends, this is the one I struggle with the most. Yeah? Am I, am I alone in that? I don't think I probably am. Okay. Whew, not alone. Okay. Third question would be, am I working now to prepare to stand or will I simply let the devil have his way? As you're thinking about those three questions, let me share with you a brief thing that will help you understand why that third question is meaningful. Because remember, Paul says, prepare, and having done everything to prepare, you can stand. Um, there's a collection of fables called Aesop's Fables, very famous Greek uh, set of writings, and there's a, a parable or a fable in there about a, a wild boar and a fox, and this will be helpful for you to understand the third question. The fable goes like this. So a wild boar was sharpening his tusks on a tree one day, and a fox came by and asked him, why are you doing this, sharpening your tusks, when there is neither huntsman nor danger threatening you? And the wild boar responds, I do so for a good reason. 
For if I am suddenly surprised by danger, I wouldn't have the time to sharpen my tusks then, but now I will find them ready for their duty. This is part of our invitation, friends. The best day to prepare for spiritual warfare was yesterday. The second best day is today. Tomorrow might be too late. So how do we begin our preparation? We do what Paul said at the beginning of our text for today. We become strengthened by the Lord in his vast strength. I'm going to lead us through this, but as a prayer in just a moment. But what this looks like, and we'll pray this together. This looks like confessing that you are weak and in need of God's strength. This looks like admitting that you have pride. Thinking that you could win a spiritual war or succeed in life in your own strength. It looks like submitting all of your life to God's authority. All of it. Every single part. And it looks like asking God to give you strength. I'd like to lead us as we close our time together here today in a prayer that will walk us through that exact process. But can you just take a moment where you're at, whether you're here or watching online, can you just take a moment and just, if there's something from this passage of Scripture, from this message today that just is rolling around in your heart, your head, there's something you feel like you need to say to God, can you just take a, a beat and say that to him? You, you can say that, whisper it where you're sitting, pray this in, in the quietness of your seat where you are. I would just encourage you, God, there's this thing that's standing out to me today. I'm realizing that I've been doing this in my own strength, or I've been living as if the enemy isn't real, and, or I've been living as if I could handle it all on my own. I haven't been leaning into your strength. I'm trying this in my own strength. God, would you meet us in this place as we speak to you now? God, we are weak in our flesh. You are strong. We need your strength. We confess that we are often prideful, imagining that we don't have a real enemy or pretending that we don't need your help. Forgive us. We know that we have a spiritual enemy and we are surrounded by spiritual warfare. We know this. We also know that you have all true power. That nothing can compare to you. And that nobody and no thing can stand against you. But that in you we can stand. So, God, we submit our lives completely to your authority. Save us. Lead us. Strengthen us. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Help us to prepare. Help us to fight. Help us to stand. 
And God, we ask these things not in our own strength, but that we would be strengthened in the Lord by your vast strength. And we believe that we will see them not by our own effort, but by your grace. God, we pray these things by the matchless, all-powerful name above every other name, the holy, beautiful name of Jesus. We need you. We rely on you. In you, strengthen us so that we can stand. And God, I pray that in this church, whether here or joining us online, wherever we are scattered around as a church family today, that you would strengthen us, sustain us by your word, fill us with your Holy Spirit, cover us with your grace and your love. in all of the power that you demonstrate in and through our church, cause all of that not to point to us for even a moment, but to point ultimately to you. And in all of the places where we feel attacked, protect and cover us, and by your Holy Spirit, defend us. We fight our battles on our knees before you, God, in prayer. And with our hands lifted high in worship, and our hearts surrendered in trust. You are a good God. Help us to live knowing that that is true. Friends, be strengthened in the Lord, in his vast strength. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.